Amateur Radio Newsline Report number 2287 with a release date of Friday, August 27th, 2021 to follow in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The following is a QST. A dispute over a medical device and a suspected RFI. NASA plans a radio telescope on the moon. And in New York, a special event station marks the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. All this and more as Amateur Radio Newsline Report number 2287 comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline. Amateur Radio's independent, on-the-air news and bulletin service. And now reporting from Valparaiso, Indiana, here's Paul Brown, WD9GCO. Our top story this week involves suspected RF interference that appears to be affecting a medical device. But does this point to ham radio? Ralph Squillacci, KK6ITB, explores that question. A ham radio operator in Florida is off the air following a challenge by a neighbor in his retirement community that his amateur radio station is causing life-threatening interference to the wireless communications in her insulin pump. According to a report by WFTV Channel 9 Orlando, an independent consultant hired by the residential community known as On Top of the World near Ocala, Florida, believes that RF from the ham station, quote, could have produced, end quote, interference with the pump's delivery of measured insulin doses. WFTV reported that the woman, Michelle Smith, is a type 1 diabetic who claims that David Burge, WB9UYK, had put her health at risk by operating his station. David is now off the air in compliance with the community board's order to him. It remains unclear, however, whether the consultant's findings definitively proved that RFI was a factor. In 2019, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an alert that some models of insulin pumps with unencrypted wireless connectivity had cybersecurity flaws that left them vulnerable to hacking that could modify the settings. Eric Kester, KA0YWN, an electrical design engineer in Minnesota who is not involved with the Florida dispute, told Newsline in an email that he has been familiar with RF emissions testing and RF immunity testing since 1995. He said that the more subtle kind of changes Michelle Smith reported seeing in her insulin pump are inconsistent with the larger scale reactions he has seen documented in devices compromised by RF interference. Meanwhile, the WFTV report noted that the Florida Community's Board of Directors has already modified its regulations on antennas in a way that would permit operations by licensed radio amateurs living there. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Ralph Squillacci, KK6ITB. Radio astronomer's beloved Arecibo dish is no more, at least not in Puerto Rico. But how about a replacement that's not of this earth? Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, explains. How do you top Arecibo, the iconic radio telescope that collapsed last December, leading to its dismantling? You build one similar to it. And you do it on the far side of the moon. The Lunar Crater Radio Telescope is just a concept for now, but in theory its massive dish would be capable of detecting those radio waves that have eluded even the best of the telescopes here on Earth. Better yet, the reception wouldn't be competing against atmospheric interference that challenges Earth-based telescopes. The Lunar Telescope would be able to more clearly detect radio waves above 10 meters, which were inaccessible to the Arecibo dish. Joseph Lazio, one of the NASA radio astronomers on the Lunar Radio Telescope Project, was quoted on the Business Insider website saying, quote, 
with a sufficiently large radio telescope off Earth, we could track the progress that would have led to the formation of the first stars, maybe even find clues to the nature of dark matter, close quote. He made his remarks in a press release about the project, which is still considered preliminary. This past spring, NASA awarded $500,000 for further research and development on the telescope, which will be designed to rest inside a lunar crater on the far side of the moon. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY. AMSAT's 39th Space Symposium and Annual General Meeting is now accepting registrations for the event, which is taking place Friday, October 29th through Sunday, October 31st in Bloomington, Minnesota. Students are also invited to register. AMSAT is issuing a call for papers by presenters. Last year's event was held virtually, but this year's symposium is to take place at the Crown Plaza Hotel at Minneapolis International Airport. See the link to the registration website in the printed version of this newscast at arnewsline.org. To submit a paper, see the details that are in this week's newscast script. Meanwhile, in Spain, hams await the scheduled launch next month of two AMSAT-EA Genesis satellites. John Williams, VK4JJW, brings us up to date. The satellites are called Genesis L and Genesis N, and their planned launch on September 2nd has been eagerly anticipated by Spain's National Amateur Radio Society, the URE. The launch is to take place at California's Vandenberg Air Force Base, where the two digital repeating satellites will take to the sky, along with a number of other satellites. The Genesis satellites, built by students from the European University, will be using amplitude shift keying and CW. Additional details and a list of the satellite's working frequencies can be found on the URE website, which is listed in the script of this week's newscast at arnewsline.org. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm John Williams, VK4JJW. Back here on Earth, many of us know the benefits of high definition, especially when it comes to video images. But now scientists in the UK are making use of some benefits of high definition imagery thanks to the huge antenna array in Europe. Jeremy Boot, G4NJH, has those details. Scientists are crediting 70,000 one-metre-high antennas with helping to unveil new insights into how our solar system came into being by providing hitherto unattainable visual details. The array is letting scientists gather ultra-high-definition imagery to get a clearer picture of various galaxies as they gave birth to planets and suns. The radio imagery they're using is the result of a linked international network of telescopes known as LOFAR, for Low Frequency Array. Although most of the antennas are in nine nations throughout Europe, the majority are in the Netherlands. According to Neil Jackson of the University of Manchester, the imagery is permitting researchers to see more clearly what happens inside galaxies when planets and suns are being created. He told the BBC, quote, These high-resolution images allow us to zoom in to see what's really going on when supermassive black holes launch these jets of material, unquote. The project leader, Leah Morabito of Durham University in the UK, said scientists believe images such as these are giving greater insight into the creation of our own solar system too. According to the BBC, for the array to work, the team had to find a way to gather and digitise signals received by each antenna. The signals were then sent to a central processor for combination with all the other images being gathered by the rest of the array. 
Leah Morabito told the BBC that the teams plan to scan numerous galaxies in the years ahead, adding, quote, I think we're definitely in for some surprises, end quote. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. Many of the hams who will be on the air on September 11th calling QRZ from New York City were in a very different place 20 years ago. Some of them hurried to the World Trade Center in Manhattan as first responders to the terror strikes that day. They were answering a call then, and this year they are the ones calling to mark the painful anniversary. The first responders and their friends and supporters are hams in the Northeast Wireless Radio Club, NW2C, and the Great South Bay Amateur Radio Club, W2GSB. They will be on the air together from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, operating special event station W2T using CW, single sideband, and the digital modes. Hams may also contact them via satellite. In the words of their station, Whiskey 2 Tango, we will never forget. Mark it on your calendar. What do soda activators do when the summits are off limits? Well, in New Zealand, the answer is right there in their backyards. We hear more from Graham Kemp, VK4BB. Nothing, not even a solar flare or even a pandemic could stop the backyards on the air activation from going ahead recently in New Zealand. The pandemic, in fact, was actually the inspiration for the event on Sunday, August 22. It was born in the spring of 2020 as lockdown enveloped the New Zealand nation. A group of SOTA activators looked for new options because their loved summits had been declared off-limits. Organiser Mark Sullivan, ZL3AB, said this recent activation found participants once again in their backyards and, after two hours of calling QRZ, some boasted contacts with the US and VK as well as round New Zealand. Mark described his own activation as a bit less successful owing to a pole that collapsed and someone's child next door playing with an incredibly loud toy lawnmower. Mark did encourage and reward experimentation, however. In his invitation to participants, he wrote, and I quote, It should go without saying that double points will be awarded to anybody who operates using a Delta Loop. End quote. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Graham Kemp, VK4BB. Time for you to identify your station. We are the Amateur Radio Newsline, heard on bulletin stations around the world, including the K4LYL repeater in Bedford, Virginia. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. local time. This year has brought double the celebration for hams in India. Jason Daniels, VK2LAW, tells us there is still time to attend some of the programs virtually. Indian amateurs aren't just marking 100 years of ham radio, they're also celebrating 75 years of their nation's independence. A full weekend of celebration was hosted by the West Bengal Radio Club on August 14th and 15th, highlighted by an online tech talk with noted home brewer Ashar Faran, the U2ESE, creator of the Bitex and MicroBitex open source transceivers. The program, hosted by Saborni Nagbiswas VU2JFC, was followed by a webinar on the first century of Indian amateur radio led by S. Ram Mohan VU2MYH and Siramamurti Suri VU2MY, both of the National Institute of Amateur Radio, and S. Satyapal VU2FI of the Indian Institute of Hams. 
Both events were live-streamed. If you were unable to attend virtually while the programs were taking place, they are available for viewing on YouTube. The links appear in the script of this week's newscast at arnewsline.org. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Jason Daniels, VK2 LAW. Australian officials are looking for HAM's input on their review of 2 by one call signs. Robert Broomhead, VK3DN, has more. The Australian Communications and Media Authority are asking HAM's to share their thoughts on the allocation arrangements for 2 by one call signs. The call sign allocations are to be handled by the Australian Maritime College, which already manages allocations for amateur beacons, repeater special event call signs and normal call signs. The ACMA have posted a survey and are interested in hearing Ham's thoughts on the issue and use of 2 by one call signs. The authority wants to know, for instance, whether the call sign should be made available only to clubs and advanced level amateurs or whether any level of license can have access. Hams have until the 31st of August to complete the short five-question survey. According to the authority, Hams will be able to use the 2 by one call signs without having to get a new license or make changes to their existing license. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Robert Broomhead, VK3DN. The authority is also reviewing its plans for assigned amateur beacon and repeater stations. More details on that from Graham Kemp, VK4BB. The Australian Communications and Media Authority is in the middle of sorting through more than 800 responses to its consultation on a review of non-assigned amateur and outpost licensing arrangements. The ACMA's review is also taking a look at accreditation for repeater and amateur beacon assignments. The ACMA has been trying to implement a licensing procedure that will minimise the burdens of regulation and allow benefits for hams to continue at an affordable price. According to the consultation paper outlining the proposed changes earlier this year, three options are under consideration. In the first, the ACMA would not change apparatus licensing arrangements and conditions. In the second, the authority would simplify existing licensing arrangements and license conditions. And in the third, which is the preferred option for the ACMA, operation of non-assigned amateur stations would be authorised for holders of foundation, standard and advanced level qualifications through a class licence rather than an apparatus licence. This would involve creation of an amateur class licence authorising amateur station operation by those holding foundation, standard or advanced level qualifications and would include individuals visiting Australia and having overseas equivalent qualifications or licences. Meanwhile, operation of assigned amateur beacon and repeater stations would remain authorised under apparatus licensing arrangements. In a recent advisory, the ACMA has indicated it will provide updates via its e-bulletin. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Graham Kemp, VK4BB. The Trinidad and Tobago Amateur Radio Society is marking the 59th anniversary of the nation's independence with a special event station using call sign 9Y59IND through September 12th. Listen on HF, the digital modes, 2 meters, EME, DMR, D-Star, and Yezu Fusion. QSLs will be via Logbook of the World only. MASA, JA0RQV, is operating as A35JP from Tonga, where he will be until October 31st. Be listening on 80 through 6 meters, where he is using CW, single sideband, and FT8. QSL via Logbook of the World and Club Log, or direct with $2 in U.S. currency or by the Bureau using his home call sign. 
Members of the Emirates Amateur Radio Society are using the special event call sign A60EXPO between September 1st and October 1st to promote World Expo 2020 in Dubai. The expo itself runs from October 31st until March 31st of next year. Send QSLs via EA7FTR. Be listening for Pascal, EA5WO, who will be using the special event call sign AN5WAR from Valencia, Spain, between September 1st and the 30th. Pascual is commemorating the 82nd anniversary of the start of the Second World War. He will be operating on various HF bands, QSL via Logbook of the World or EQSL. In our final story, we visit a museum in Finland where ham radio operators are delivering their messages to hams and non-hams alike via a display of their homebrew equipment. Ed Durant, DD5LP, takes us there. The exhibit is called It Started With a Spark and it honours 100 years of innovation and home brewing among amateur radio operators in Finland. Housed at the Finnish Museum of Technology, the exhibit features equipment created by amateur radio operators, many of whom are members of SRAL, the Finnish Radio Amateur Association. So it is no surprise that this summertime exhibit is actually the result of some clever homebrewing itself. It began as a concept for Heike Lempola, OH2BGX, a member of the Radio Association's Anniversary Committee. He envisioned it as a display of self-made technology that would feature some of the equipment the Radio Association itself had put on display previously during smaller local one-day exhibits. Like a spark that gives energy to something greater than itself, his idea grew and grew once Heike had a conversation with Rina Lina, the exhibition producer at the museum in Helsinki. The museum and the Radio Association's centennial tribute made for a natural pairing. The homebrewing got underway and the collection grew from compact antennas to transmitters and transceivers just for starters. The exhibit runs through to the 29th of August. In an interview posted on the museum's blog, both Heike and Rena remarked that the equipment is on display to showcase the aesthetics as well as its functionality. Both agreed that visitors don't have to be hams to appreciate the beauty and the brilliance of what they are seeing. It's the kind of amateur radio that gets its message across to everyone, even people who aren't hams. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Ed Durant, DD5LP. With thanks to Amateur News Weekly, AMSAT, the ARRL, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, the BBC, Business Insider, CQ Magazine, David Behar, K7DB, Daily DX, Earth Sky, Eric Kester, KA0WYN, the Finnish Museum of Technology, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Mark Sullivan, ZL3AB, Mark Sartoretti, KC2SYF, Ohio Penn DX, QRZ.com, Southgate Amateur Radio News, Shortwave Radio.de, SRAL, Ted Randall's QSO Radio Show, the West Bengal Radio Club, WFTV Channel 9, WTWW Shortwave, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. You can write to us at newsline at arnewsline.org. For more information or to support us, please visit our official website at arnewsline.org. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT at the news desk in New York, and our news team worldwide, I'm Paul Brown, WD9GCO in Valparaiso, Indiana, saying 73. As always, we thank you for listening. 
Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2021. All rights reserved.